Yellow. Oh, Jesus Christ. You have your headphones turned up a little louder. Why can can you hear yourself? I can hear me. Can you hear me? I can hear you, but I'm Oh, I hear an echo. You hear an echo? Hold on. Let me see. No? I don't hear it. No. Echo. I heard I heard it for a second and then it went away. Hmm. Just make sure you're not set to blue snowball and you're good. Blue snowball. What now? You know, the, the cog on Google Hangouts, it's got to be, uh, the microphone has to be whatever your app is. That's Right. It's my loopback audio. Loopback audio. Yeah. And then my built-in audio. It's a... <clears throat> well, good. <clears throat> Do I sound okay? Um, are you sick? I just meant, is there a clipping going on? No, it's rock solid. Okay. And, and you sound sick. Why? <laughs> I don't, I, you don't sound sick. <clears throat> I sound sick like a... cool sick or? Sick, man. Sick. They, no, they don't even say sick. Sick is out. <clears throat> sick is out. Not, not in my house, but I, I don't say it. I actually don't use, use that at all. No, no, I don't. I'm afraid I don't. Oh. OBS is there. Is this working? I hear that, yes. Okay. What are we calling our old, our in-between episode? Two point... Welcome to Europe. Hello? 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 Hello. This is Adam. How's it going? Good. Uh, Tim, hey, Adam, how's it going? your last name, is it Lapatino? Yep, that's right. Good. Then I pronounced it right. Good. Very important. I'm muting video. I am also. Oh, hey, I'm Mark. There's hey, Mark. Two, there's two dudes here. How, how, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? All right. So it's good to, uh, good to finally meet you uh, without the, the roar of MGC. Uh, this is my co-host, uh, Mr. Mark Shields, and he goes by Time Runner and Clav. We'd like you to be as participatory as you'd like, so jump in whenever you want. All right. Um, <clears throat> sure. We have a, a list of show notes, and we have a bunch of questions. I actually have one question i got to dig out from... The forums, somebody, actually it wasn't the forums, it was on Facebook. Um, a local guy has a question for you that we'll ask later. Uh, we'll have a live chat okay. going. Uh, so there'll be probably a dozen people in that. Some of them are real active, so they'll probably, they may ask some questions. We'll we'll take questions from them later. So Tim, how's your day going? Oh, good. Good. Not too bad. A uh, little, little busy. I'm solo dadding it tonight. My wife's uh, out of town. I had to make sure I get the kids in bed on time. Yeah. That's always the thing. How old, how old are yeah, your kids? I, they're uh, five and two. Oh, young. They're they're lot lots of energy. Yeah, but uh, no, they're good. They're they're good kids. They both like Pac Man, and they you know are big fans of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So I'm raising them right. That's awesome. Uh, I uh, I have a fiance, yeah. and um, I I've been married a couple times, but um. I have a fiance that brought three kids into our home. She has four total. 
and they're all teenagers. Oh, wow, right on. So it's busy, but it's not oh, like... That's, yes, that's a different animal, totally different animal. And we trade time, so we still get date night, and, you know. That's cool. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I, Exporting song to disc. VM today. Uh, I couldn't have done this like a month ago. Would have never got done. Adam had a rickety computer and things are better now. <laughs> sort of. So, so, so we have show notes that we'll be reading off of. So this will, this will, this will feel very professional. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I am not worried. Streaming. Let's start streaming. Start streaming. Wait, how come the image is always missing now? There's something broken. 819. There we go. Yeah, OBS had totally crapped out. Wow. I wonder if I was streaming for like a week. That'd be I've fun. heard somebody do that. <laughs> accidentally start streaming. That's awesome. Oh, we should be streaming now. All right. Okay. I'm just waiting for the little alert. The, the image is oh, up there. and everything. There it is. I see it. Yeah. Ba-ding, 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 ba-ding. Four minutes late. That's us. Okay. So we're streaming live, and uh, Dan yeah. isn't here. Yeah. Well, perfect. He's course. driving. We could, we could maybe call him while he's driving. That would be hilarious. Should we call him? Let's call him during the news if he hasn't joined yet. Yeah. For, there's no articles in there right now. Yeah. We'll make him make something up. Like, yeah. what's... The latest that's happened in to him, and then that'll be it. <laughs> What's the weather like? Tell us what the traffic is like. <laughs> yeah, how is that? Uh, didn't it rain the other day and then freeze immediately so that you've got, <laughs> you know, ice roads? Oh, I forgot to tell. Tim, um, Mark is from Houston. So. Yeah. Wh- where do you hail from? I'm in Chicago. Chicago. Well, I am no stranger to, to snow and ice and yeah, all the all the best weathers. <laughs> yeah, two days ago it, it rained, then it turned to slush, then it turned to snow, and it froze solid overnight. We dropped fifty. No, uh, we went from fifty-five in the morning the day before to fifteen the day after. So nice, forty degree drop, and then today was a balmy seven degrees when I was going into work. So, pretty cold. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Yeah, you know, and it's, uh, inevitably, if you're from the Midwest, you end up talking about the weather. That's what happens, I think. Well, uh, we have weather, so. Yeah, you got wind, too, huh? So. Yes. Yeah, so, well, you know, at least it's not, uh, it's not forest fires. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. It's not, there's no forest fires. We don't get a lot of earthquakes. There's a lot of pluses. Nope. Yeah. Well, should we get this show on the road and Jan, Jan, whoever's Jan it out? Jan, Jan, it? Jan. I'm Dan. a more kind of a Marsha. I really want to call Dan right now. I could do it, <laughs> but no, yeah. let's wait till his news segment. All right. Well, that's the Give first, that's the first thing after the intro, you know? Uh, no, it's not. We got a while to go. Well, let me, let me pull up in the chat so I can be responsive here really quick. Uh, you know, it'd be, so, dude. we have Dave from Buffalo and Randall Gelking, and he says snow sucks, which this is yeah. true. I'm going to turn that down so I don't get some feedback here. And 
and the where's, where's the see, like close my adult entertainment tabs. Okay, oh, yeah, here yeah, we go. Where's Ready. The, where's the channel? <laughs> uh, my channel. Oh, live. I could have just clicked the live button. It's like I. It's like I'm new to this every week. You'd think I'd have it figured out by now. You know. I I call yes. I joined the show just for this, just to hear you talk like this. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. I, feel like, I feel like I already know how to do all of it now. You're very right, good. You're, over. you're a pro. You're a pro. <laughs> all right, guys. We're roll gonna, it. We're going to roll this, this uh, truck into the ditch. Let's do this. All right, places, everybody. Here we go. Anyone for Atari? Discover a world beyond your wildest dreams. Discover Atari. Pioneers in coin video games like Centipede, Tempest, and Asteroids. Discover the Atari that opened your eyes to the world's most popular home video games like Space Invaders, Missile Command, KOYR Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's Arcade Radio. Episode 3 of Season 2 of the Arcade Radio Podcast. Today is Thursday, December 7th, 2017, and it is now approximately 8.15pm Central. Thanks for joining us in the Arcadosphere. This is your host, Adam Stevens. I'm joined by the legendary Dan Reed and Mark Time Runner Shields. And the guest host of Arcade Radio this week is Tim Lepatino. Welcome to the show. That would be you. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I mean, thank you again. That's awesome. Uh, we're just waiting for Dan. He's actually uh, in route. Uh, so I don't know if we're, we, we should probably just get on with the show, I think. Right, Mark? Let's do it. I got, I got things to say. You got things to do. We got things to say. Well, norm- say and do it. All right. Well, normally we talk about talk a little bit about what we're working on. Why don't we start with our esteemed guest, Tim Lepatino? Lepatino, Lepatino. What are you working on? Yeah. Well, right. Well, what am I working on right now? Well, uh, first I want to talk about what I've been working on. I mean, as you guys know, you know, uh, last year I did Art of Atari and I wrote and art directed that book. Uh, and then this year, you know, just because I get bored easily. Uh, I have a team together. We just released the Undisputed Street Fighter book, which is a follow-up to the Art of Atari, and it's a focus on 
the entire, uh, basically, Street Fighter canon. So and that just dropped uh, about three weeks ago. So yeah, a brand new Street Fighter book. starting to come in. Nice. Nice. So that's Art of Street Fighter? It's kind of, it's art and history. The idea was not just a straight-up art book, because there have been a few other books about Street Fighter, but we really wanted to dig into the history. So I didn't write it, but I actually edited it and then art directed. I'm the series editor. This is part of the same the same series that Arvatari was. And uh, a friend of mine named Steve Hendershaw wrote it. He's a phenomenal journalist. And uh, he really dug in. He interviewed like 80 people, you know, uh, you know, Very professional cool. gamers, some of the original programmers, Very cool. uh, creative types, all kinds of, you know, cosplayers, all these people that are connected to Street Fighter in some fashion. And so it's a, it's a really different kind of book in that there's tons of art. I mean, there's 1,200 images in the book. There's, it digs into the, the characters, but uh, also he really, you know, he wrote a lot about the, the origins and just what the games mean, I think, to video games and video gamers. Wow, that's that's awesome. Uh, that was totally unexpected. I, does no, quick question then? Does the does the book have the same dimensions as the Art of Atari book, so you can put them on your shelf? Of course it does. I mean, I'm just OCD enough to insist upon that. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, it, it's a tiny bit it's a tiny bit shorter than Art of Atari, but uh, it's still 300 pages. It's a nice big monster thing that you know you get tired of carrying around. But yeah, no, and we're you know we really want to do a series here and really tell, you know, some of these stories from the perspective of sort of art and design and innovation in a way that, you know, most people aren't covering and writing about video games. Huh. Well, that, that is, that's really that cool. Great. Hey, may I ask, do you have any other series? Uh, well, any other genres that you're going to cover in this series that you have in mind? I do, but none of it's official yet, so I can't okay. actually say, but, you know, because uh, we're still working on it, and there's a couple of things going on. Uh, there is, uh, yeah, there's some negotiations going on. Otherwise, I would be happy to tell you about it. Okay. But, uh, I mean, I can't, you know, there are some other things going on, uh, and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to announce some stuff maybe in the new year, I think. But, you know, for me, um, you know, I'm, I'm a class video gamer. I'm a Atari guy at heart. Uh, but, you know, for me, it's always like, where do we find that intersection between video games and pop culture and design? You know, because I'm a designer, you know, that's, I'm a writer and a designer, but I look through, look at things through that visual way. So I'm always looking for that. You know, I don't just want to do video game books for the, you know, till the end of time. Right. You know, for me, there's got to be a really interesting hook, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, something that caps into the bigger, <laughs> larger pop culture. You know, people ask me after Art of Atari, oh, are you going to do Art of Intellivision? I'm like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> oh. You know, because... Uh, like... you know, hey, you know, you know what? It's like, it's like Coke and Pepsi, you know, and you're either an Atari person or you're an Intellivision person. Right. But, I mean, more to the point for me, you know, that's not a diss on that system, although I think those controllers are some of the worst yeah. things ever created. <laughs> it's not even a real joystick. Um, God. <laughs> no, no, it sucks. It totally... They, they really suck. Uh, but... But I mean, even that, you know, it's like I want to tap into the place where, you know, we get outside of, you know, I love, I love the classic video game community. I mean, I've been a part of it for, you know, nine, over a decade. But I like getting out of our ghetto and, you know, sort of connecting with some of, the, you know, some people who maybe, you know, haven't thought about video games in 20 or 30 years or, you know, forgot that the, the button on the Atari joystick is red-orange. You know, I, I like connecting with those people. 
it's fun to, to sort of talk to both audiences at the same time. Oh, that's an excellent interview question. Ask them what color the button is. <laughs> hmm. All right, Mark, what are, you, what are you working on, Mark? Well, first of all, I need to get into a position where I can ask that interview question. So that's that. Okay, but let's not talk about that. Uh, let's see. All of, all of my stuff has been mostly vintage video game restoration. Last week, I got a missile command. Yeah. And Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. Uh, what, st- what style of cabinet? It's the uh, classic upright with the fun MDF that is coming apart at the base. I guess that's a awesome a, a bonus, and um, <laughs> I, I gave it a, a feature, not a bug. Yeah, I gave it a quick two day restore. It's in the house. I have to have like the back rebuilt, but games playing. Got a nice. It has a nice Geo Seven monitor in it, and it's nice to finally have that because I. I growing up, I had no idea there was an arcade game. I thought that the Atari Twenty Six Hundred game was basically the you know the, the starting point. So I was surprised to see one years later. I don't know what was going on here in Houston where we didn't have missile commands. Maybe it was proximity to NASA. I don't really know, but <laughs> it was a safety measure. Sure, yeah, you know, they didn't want you pulling a pull a war game. Yeah, we can't have these uh, missile launcher games here. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, come on, it's Astro World. They're like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I saw a uh, a uh, environmental uh, missile command recently, and I was in, in Florida, in Orlando, for Free Space Florida last uh, last month, and uh, it wasn't this month. I can't remember, uh, but uh, it was. Be- I've never seen one in person, and uh, I love the you know stand ups, obviously, but. The environmental one just kind of blew my mind a little bit. It's a trip, and I think that I think they do it justice with the audio that they have in there. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's like another AR yeah. with another amplifier. I think that was the whole appeal of the any cockpit or environment to look at pole positions, Star Wars, E dot Tron, right? So you got these games, and you get yeah. in, and there was mm-hmm. the sound was just booming in there. So I I, I agree, it's pretty cool. And then uh, the other. Oh, yeah. the, the only other arcade stuff I last night at 9 p.m. I on Craigslist I saw an ad that said uh, working arcade game Gravatar works pretty good two hundred dollars and I was like what <laughs> and so I immediately said, yeah I know I sent an email and the guy's in Dallas actually he's in Saginaw Texas which is just to the left of Fort Worth which is just to the left of Dallas and I said you know, Hey, I will come up anytime. And he's like, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, I guess I'm waking up at 4am. So I did, (laughs) I drove five hours, got the two games. I also bought a space invaders and drove them back. I was actually racing clouds and stuff like that. The guy told me that this gravatar was in the movie. Never say never again. And Kim Basinger played it. And I was, yeah, well, so here's the thing. I went and looked up the the screenshots for that movie, and that's a Euro Gravatar, like you know, fr- filmed in Europe. You know, the different uh, the the top is different, and it looks like those European dig dugs and stuff like that. And uh, it's definitely mm-hmm. not the one I have. I think somebody basically was telling him it's like the one that Kim Basinger played, but he oh. literally believed she touched this. Her fingers were touching this part of this game. And I'm like, I don't think so. So I was a little disappointed. You're like, if only. 
I know. <laughs> and then you're uh, thinking, what else did she touch? Like Alec Paul? I don't know. Uh, Sean Connery leaned against it, <laughs> apparently. So, but no, this is just a regular old Gravatar. And uh, yeah, brought him back, put him in storage, and then came here so I could do the show. <laughs> that's um, that's well, well, that's well, awesome, dude. Yeah. Nice score. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm about to talk about nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you do all week, Adam? Oh my God. I uh, I can't say this on the air. Let's just say I've been busy at work and leave it at that. Um, what have I been working on arcade-wise, though? Uh, I dismantled my uh, Mr. and Mrs. Pac-Man pinball. Um, I decided to get in after the Pac-Maze. And uh, I replaced it with an LED modern replacement, and that was pretty cool. But then I realized not all the sounds were working, so I started troubleshooting that. And then I pulled the you know the the soundboard, <laughs> and uh, it's a what is it called the the um, squawk and talk. And so I pulled that, and there was a couple of pots that needed replacing, so I replaced those. Uh, that fixed a couple of the the problems with the sound, and then the there was still a background sound missing. So I had to order some ICs from China. So they should be here. I don't know, maybe like in another week or so. Month. Yeah. I, I ordered them like last week. So, but, um, yeah, I should be able to get that all, all hundred percent. I also ordered, uh, some new flippers for my Xenon. I'm going to replace the flippers. I, I bought some translucent blue, flippers that i thought would look really cool but they're so dark you can't really see them when you're playing so now i have these um they're they're like chromium gold color flippers that i'm gonna put in there so they're very 70s looking and i think i'm gonna put red rubbers around the outside to make it look really uh 70s because xenon is just that you know that sexy (laughs) 70s back glass with the infinity mirror and it just screams you know like gold accents so i bought some some things to spruce her up with and uh so that's what uh that's primarily what i've been working on i forgot actually the day before i got missile command i traded my jurassic park pinball for another nba fast break so i'm putting together a kit to attach uh, both both of them i now own two two nba fast break pinballs that's been a goal of yours for a while. I know. Success. Nice. And and, and it, it helped that I traded a pin that I don't like. So whatever. <laughs> I'll I'll fill you in on that later. We we can talk about other stuff now. Oh, okay, that sounds great. Yes. Yeah, so uh, yeah, normally we would uh we'd be doing um uh, we would be doing the um, the news. But we're not. Yeah. Yeah. So Dan uh, you know, and, and I want to play his his cue. I actually have a new cue. We have a I, we could oh. tease the the upcoming segment that we're going to be doing. Okay, let's hear what what's what what kind of music going to play for him. Well, coming on, yeah. So uh, he's uh, let's see what here. where did I put this thing? Uh, I, oh, here it is. Okay, I want to just play this little clip. For, for our listeners we're gonna have a new segment not tonight obviously because dan is he's not here to, but well, maybe we can maybe we can just wing it but dan is uh, dan's gonna start a new segment for us and it goes something like this yeah there's a problem with the price 
price police? The price police. <laughs> oh, well, I, I mean, I see the background. There, there's there been a thread on Clav about an empty quantum cabinet that's been going on. Oh, yeah, it was wants, like four grand or something. Four grand for an empty cabinet. And so people are like putting things like, hey, I have these four leg levelers. It's, <laughs> it's technically, you know, a Star Wars, but it's missing everything except the leg levelers. <laughs> so, so, so there, there is price policing happening because it's an incomplete game and... <laughs> But it's quite entertaining. I, I, well, if you haven't checked it out, please do so. And I think, I mean, we we, we can definitely chime in on this. You know, there, there's, I think if we do it in jest and in fun, you know, there's just certain things you just don't pay for, you know. Uh, collectors tend to be real stingy as it is. We uh, we want to buy low like Mark lands these deals, but you got to get up at 4 a.m. and go get the machine before somebody else buys it underneath you right from a, well i made them take you. the ad down so right. that was a that's a sweet little you know trick that you can do you just say hey could you please take the ad down because yes. i'm definitely so going to show it. that you've committed to me and so that i can go i can go drive four hours and i won't feel like somebody else is going to like give you more money which technically they should yeah <laughs> yeah you know yeah. There, there's actually a lot of really awesome games on uh local craigslist here right now I, and and most of them are pretty decently priced um there's a few things that I think are maybe a little out there, but you know, uh, there's a multicade for twenty two fifty. You know, oh, is that all? That's yeah. nice. It's like in yeah, a, I'm, a I'm, golf cabinet. That's gonna, you know, that's gonna make a nice Christmas present. Yeah, exactly. Well, see, you know, what? <laughs> it's not, hey, uh, it's what you'll pay yeah. for it, right? It's what you'll pay for it, or somebody will pay hey, for t- it. Tim, are there any vintage? Is there any vintage hardware where you work? Let me just sit, put it that way. No, there isn't. All the vintage hardware that I have is mine, and it's around me. But I, unfortunately, I don't have any caps. I, you know, I don't have enough space to to do arcade machines. Although it is on the bucket list. Yeah, I really want to have a Tron cabinet. Yeah, yeah. I'm just so not. I'm not technical. Like I'm not like hardware like technical, which is I feel like is the thing that keeps me from doing it. Oh yeah, that makes me nervous about like I don't I don't know the first thing about fixing this stuff. Yeah, I, you know I I think it's like me. well I think there's a like somebody could come up with a bulleted list of thirty items that you can use to keep any machine running. Like nine times out of ten, it'll fix your problem. Very true. Really? Well, we're yeah. keeping that list. Secret. Yeah, I think for me, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, don't you can just send that directly. We'll send to that to you. Yes, not to everybody. Else. I think, right. Yeah, you know, I'd, I would love to have a Pac-Man cabinet. I love Tron, and uh, of course, it's for me the you know the holy one of the holy grails is the you know the environmental the E dot. Sure, you know just the Tron. I mean, that's just one of the most amazing games ever. The worst thing about um, so interesting you picked Tron first because that was my first pick um, when I started collecting, and I I, nice. I I thought oh let me do a cocktail because that'll be. That'll be a good, you know, conversation piece. And, you know, took me a while to get it all put together. And and then mm-hmm. I bought uh, a Miss Pac-Man. And, and then I got a Robotron. And then I got an Omega Race. And then I got a Star Wars and a Tempest and a Star Trek. And it just went from there. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's a slippery slope. Yeah, I have like, 
I have like an idetic, idetic. How do you say that? Idyllic. You know where you wrote. No, idetic. It's where you remember everything. Oh. Um, (laughs) Every time I stepped into a Tron uh, cabinet and the environmental cabinet, I remember it. Like it's, it just happened. Yeah. Photographic memory is the easy way to say it. I played the. Uh, well, I remember the the stand up Tron. Like I remember the first time I saw it was in a Chuck E. Cheese when I was a kid, and uh, you know back when Chuck E. Cheese was totally awesome and cool, you know, super dark in there and you know kind of shady, but like the black lights just lit that place up, you know, and that just it just draws you to that machine. Yeah. Um, that hey, we we got way off price police here, but uh, but that's fine. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, my bad. We didn't really have a no, no, it wasn't you. It was, we didn't really have a thing for it anyway. We were just you know doing a little right. I like it. So, uh, look for that segment in the upcoming episodes. Yeah. You know, yeah, a successful uh, introduction of that. Thank you. And um, and I think that normally uh, what we would do is you know he'd say you know we do the news and then I would have some. We're not doing any news this week, though. No, there's no news. There's just there's just nothing to talk about. Well, I guess that was our news article, you know. So I may take over the news if Dan's going to do Price Police, and then I'll just you know we'll have we'll shorten that to a couple of news articles. Yeah, make it okay. easier. I think that's good. I don't know. The audience probably. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, make things too unusual. So everybody in the audience is nodding their head right now. Yeah, I can see. I can see that. <laughs> so, How about, yeah. yeah, let's go to. So I think uh, I think we have to. You know, I'm going to have to. <laughs> so I think we're going to have to hand it over to uh, Mr. Mark uh, Shields uh, for his segment. Here we go. Back in '82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin a quarter mile. Back, back to the, to cave, the cave with with. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? All right, welcome to the time machine, everybody. We're being we're setting our time circuits to June twenty eighth, nineteen seventy two. That's pretty far back. I think it almost might be the furthest back we've ever gone. Jeez, it's two months before I was born. I was three. I don't remember much of it, although the, uh, the film Phantom of the Paradise came out. It scared me every time it came on TV, and I remember oh, that. Oh yeah, the Phantom of the Paradise. I think you showed that to me. Oh, so good. Well, that's that's like some movie that I knew when I was a child. It, I was like, oh man, what was that movie where some guy's head gets crushed, and I can't <laughs> and I can't remember what it was. Yeah. And then like a year ago, a year ago there was like some revival at a at a theater, and they showed the you know pictures and i'm like i you know immediately like flashed back to being three years old and i was like oh my god that's that movie so it turns out this movie i thought was like incredibly offensive and scary is like this cool sci-fi horror musical oh this is funny yeah and and then you sh- and then you're like hey. years of therapy later <laughs> yeah i know right but did you see it on network television or something like that too? Or was like, I've never seen it anywhere, never on videotape or oh. anything. I mean, how, how do you go this far and this long and never even know that it exists? Like now I, me, now I'm like tweet buddies with Paul Williams. So <laughs> oh, really, I love him. He's, he's awesome. Paul Williams, for those of you, was the short, um, long blonde hair with glasses guy that was on the Muppets occasionally. So he played the piano in the Muppet movie. If you remember that. He wrote the Rainbow Connection, yeah, yeah. And a bunch of other stuff. 
It's pretty funny. That's okay, funny. so let's talk about this date here. Um, let's talk about RK Technology News. We picked this date because, uh, well, what I'm about to tell you, um, first, Magnavox unveiled the Odyssey, the first video game console at uh, the Burling, Burlingham, California Convention. And uh, Nutting Associates sent Nolan Bushnell to observe the launch, and he reported back that uh, he was like, eh, it's kind of underwhelming. And, they, <laughs> and then, so they were like, oh, good, that's good. Um, Nolan left those guys and moved on to uh, start up a coin-op engineering and design firm with Tim Dabney into a full-fledged company. They tried to name it the same company that they had sort of partnered with Nutting, uh, but um, Bushnell discovered that a roofing company somehow <laughs> had already been using the name Syzygy because, you know, Syzygy Roofing just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Syzygy Roofing? Yeah, I mean, Syzygy? that's how you get people yeah. to remember your roofing company. Is it Syzygy or Syzygy? Syzygy? Syzygy. There's a Z in yeah, there. Yeah, I, I wasn't honoring the Z enough. You're right. Syzygy. So I, that's even better. Syzygy <laughs> roofing. Syzygy. So, so, be, so if it wasn't for this roofing company, the word, you know, the corporation would never have been named Atari. <laughs> wow. It's pretty crazy. Okay. So what else? Uh, the box yeah. office, um, <laughs> Uh, it was pretty boring in 1972. People went outside a lot, and here's one reason why. Uh, action legend Clint Eastwood starred in the film Joe Kid, which dealt with a former bounty hunter looking for some guy. Reviews were mixed, and uh, this is probably not on Netflix. It was number one for two weeks, and uh, it sounds terrible. Joe Kid, anybody? I don't remember that one. Have you seen that one? Uh, I, wait, uh, I think I... No, I haven't. Nope. Yeah, uh, okay. And, and if you didn't want to go to the movies on TV, ABC had The Super, uh-huh. The Corner Bar, and The Marty Feldman Comedy Machine, which, of course, classics, right? I mean, I remember all those reruns, not. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. This is rough. <laughs> on CBS, they had <laughs> the Melba Moore Clifton Davis show. <laughs> that reminds me of Seinfeld. You just said Melba? Melba, that's what her name was, or his name. I'm pretty sure it was her name. Who the hell is Melba Moore and Clifton Davis? I don't know. I mean, I, anyway, and, and I don't know what Melba. was on Whatever was on NBC is probably the movie of the week or something. <laughs> movie of the week. Yeah, yeah. What a time to start Atari. Great idea, boys. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. but it, it's interesting. Um, it is interesting. So Atari really in 72, was it still called Syzygy then? Syzygy? Yeah, they were called Syzygy. Syzygy was the engineering side of it. Okay. You know, and they decided they were going to keep that separate, you know, and but once they realized they had to incorporate, they had to pick something else. And sure. they picked Atari because both of them, uh, both Ted Dabney and Nolan uh, would play Go. Yep. You know, the, the, you know, the board game Go and Atari is a, is a move from Go. And I'm not a Go player. But they also thought it was really exciting to be, A, they wanted to be earlier in the phone book, you know, because you start, cause clearly when everyone reads the phone book, they, you know, start at the beginning and read it like a regular book. But <laughs> they were really excited about the idea that they could be that high. And they actually, when, uh, I don't know if it was apocryphal or not, but when uh, Steve Jobs was naming Apple, he was very excited that he could move ahead of Atari in the phone book. 
that he would, that Apple would come before Atari. Oh, because uh, in the yellow pages, you know, they had categorized sections. So whatever, you know, whatever the category that these guys fell under, what would it be like gaming company or something or electronic company? I, I guess. I, I mean, I don't know. I think that feels like kind of early for that. Well, I don't, I'm not sure who, you know what? We, we need a, we need a yellow pages here, but the, each one of those sections were alphabetized internally. Right. So you'd see right. a through Z for each category. So that's, that's just awesome. That's, that's, that's brilliant. But that, you know, also is why a lot of companies are called triple a bug zapping, you know, right. That's pretty, that's pretty nice. That's a good, good point. Cool. All right. I bored everybody out. All right. Here we go. Top, you know, I'm here all week, folks. We're going to go through the top five songs. This ought to be interesting. Uh, I've got stuff queued up. We're going we're gonna to try to limit. Do you our, really? I, yeah. Oh, man. It's pretty rough. So, so we had bad movies, <laughs> we had bad TV. Now we have bad music. Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> Number five. I'll Take You There by the Staples Singers. We know this one. You know, I'm upset at this song. They don't clarify where you're being taken. I feel like <laughs> I've been kidnapped. You know, where do, where are we going? I don't know. It is funny. Well, I want to know where there is. <laughs> I think I think I know where there is. You guys. Oh, do, you know. Oh, do you? Oh, oh, it's like that. It's about sex. Uh, I get it. No, man. <laughs> See, I just there, needed oh, to have there, this. there. It's the rock and roll. There, you know? I, oh. I thought you meant there. That <laughs> was the other there. Man, I'm gonna. I have to. I have to go talk to my wife. Um, <laughs> all right, next relations. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> number four was "Nice to Be With You" by the Gallery. I don't think I got the uh, chorus yeah. on that one. You didn't get the bridge. That's yeah. okay. That rolls off the tongue. Nice wait, to wait, wait maybe this you. is it. I think that has to do with sex, too. There we go. That's what it is. There we go. I got it. Okay. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, number three. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I, I don't remember this one. Out of Space, I Wrote a Simple Song by Billy Preston. I think that's actually two songs. Uh, Is it? Do you think it was like uh, where they connect? Like, I'm the, you know, We Are the Champion and uh, another song? No, it's Out of Space is the song. And actually, it's from the album, I Wrote a Simple Song. From his, oh, I see. From his 1971 album, I Wrote a Simple Song. But the, the, the charting hit was Out of Space. So we can play a clip okay. of that. I actually totally dig this. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Wildest organ in town. There you go. Wow, that is great. Yeah, I think I would. That, that, I'll buy that. That that deserves a revival. Okay. Uh, number two is song sung. <laughs> I just burped. Sorry. <laughs> number two is song. <laughs> Song 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 by, I just burped. I don't Dyer. know that one. <laughs> it's by I, I was gonna let a, I was gonna let one rip, but I was like, I should just turn away from the mic. <laughs> and now it's 
I just burped by Steel Diamonds. <laughs> Steel. <laughs> Neil Diamond. Neil! Before Diamond. <laughs> A subject to the blues now and then. <laughs> but when you take the blues and make a song, you sing them out again. You sing them out again. Okay. <laughs> we gotta play a wow. little bit of it. Song, song, blue, like a willow. There you go. Ah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, these are all like my memories jogged here. Okay, and I'm hoping this is the same song. From Willy Wonka, the Candyman, Sammy Davis Jr., and the Mike Curb Congregation. All right, everybody. Oh yeah, he he does this whole soliloquy in the beginning. It's kind of a little bit annoying. So it, I, we'll turn it. <laughs> is, I mean, Is it a he, bunch of candy candy hungry children around him? Or I think so. Yeah, here we go. Who can take a I don't know about you, but I'm really upset that he wasn't able to sing this on screen as the Candyman in Willy, Won- uh, Willy Wonka. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? They had that British guy. Was he singing it in Sammy Davis Jr.'s voice? I don't remember. Maybe he was honoring Sammy Davis in the way he sang it. Oh. Or did this come before that? I don't know, whatever. Anyway, that was your number one song in Yay! 1972, and we are done. Oh, that is that's great. What was I, that? That was... Uh, that was it sounded like somebody was falling down and dying. Yeah. It's kind of like when Luke yeah. fell down the chasm. No. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never do that again. I'll never do that again. <laughs> well, they took it out. And then, well, they first, they add, first it wasn't in there, and then they added it, and then they took it out. I see. Yeah. Hey, do we have any voicemails? I think we do. Do you want me to play it? Okay. No, I just asked. I was just asking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, here's a a voicemail for today. Happy December, Arcade Radio Podcasters. This is your buddy, Bob Zarzadek, control panel expert and part-time Bitcoin collector. I'm not saying that I'm behind the meteoric rise of Bitcoin this week. But somewhere, there's a laptop running special program that I made that nobody is ever going to find. And, what? Oh, oh, hold, hold on. I think I said too much. Okay, okay. Wait, new, new subject, new subject. I forget, forget what I just said. Okay. Uh, well, you know what? I'm probably just going to listen to the show. I don't, I don't really have a question. Uh, I just like hearing your greeting message. It's pretty cool. You know, I, if anybody else wants to listen to it, I'll give you, I'll give you my impression. Okay, here. You reach the arcade ratio voice mailbox by leaving a message, blah, 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 blah. Okay, I can't do it. All right. Hey, I'm off then. Now. You guys have a great show. Zarzadek out. Classic Zarzadek. Classic Zarzadek. You got to look forward to his call every week. You just do. It's one of those things. I look forward to it. I look, I look backward <laughs> to it. <laughs> I like it because when it's done, we get to get to the guest interview. Oh! There's so much pomp and circumstance. I'm here! 
Here wow, it comes. I, I feel like I need to be wearing like purple or something royalty after that. It was yeah. wonderful. Uh, Mark and I have been practicing those horns for some time. Yes. Yeah. It's Tim Lapatino. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for letting me be here. Yes, letting you. Well, no. We, We've allowed I need, it. I, I need We're, echo. <laughs> We've, I need echo. Oh, yeah. Uh, here, everything here, I say. Here, here, here. Tim Lapatino is, as you may have already figured out, the author of um, the book "The Art of Atari," and he's working on it, um, or just released, uh, just um, released. It just was, it just dropped, right? You just said it just dropped. It, yep, we dropped it. It fell. It's our, everyone's okay. Oh, it, it, it and, popped out. And just one more time, what's the <laughs> title of the book? The, the title is "Undisputed Street Fighter." The Undisputed Street Fighter. So check it out yes. in stores now. Uh, it will fit nicely uh, next to your Art of Atari book, as they are the exact same dimension. Yes, and we and we're doing a actually a, a special edition is also coming out. I think in a week or two, it's going to be much like the the special edition we did for Art of Atari. It's a slipcase version, although this one I dare say is even cooler than the Art of Atari one. This uh, the slipcase for Undisputed Street Fighter looks like the front of the cabinet, like the front of the Street Fighter II cabinet. And then there's a die cut, like a, you know, the screen itself is cut out and you see the actual cover that looks like the, the game intro screen. So are you talking it's about... killer. For, oh, that's awesome. Uh, for the Art of Atari, you did a capsule edition. Is that the one you're talking about? No, so, so we did a special edition. There's a deluxe edition of Art of Atari that is orange and it looks like a, a big old uh, 2600 game box. Oh, and then the actual cover, oh. if, you slide, if you slide it out, the cover of the book looks like a cartridge. And it looks like the label, you know, the, the side label of the cartridge. And uh, that was a very low run. That's a, an actual true limited edition. I think we Dang only it. printed 2,000 or 2,500 of them. And they're actually pretty tough to find at this point. They go in and out of Amazon, and occasionally you find one in the bookstore. But they sold pretty quickly. But it's, it's pretty cool. We also had a, I actually, this is probably the highlight of that whole process for me was, you know, after interviewing uh, Cliff Spawn, who was the artist who did the first, like 19 of the first Atari 2600 uh, cartridges, he did the artwork. We actually, I actually commissioned him to do a new piece of Atari art for this edition. And we did that oh. in an 8x10 print of that inside special edition. He also did a poster book, right? Yes, yeah, we did a poster book that's 40 tear-out, 12 by 16 posters. You know, for me, it's like some of that stuff, it's not really my jam, but I really just wanted to get bigger versions of the art in people's hands, you know, and like <laughs> that, was the, that was the simplest, quickest way to do that next. And we may be exploring doing something else, maybe larger prints or something like that, but people love the art, you know, and it's, I think there's something about being able to see it large. So, you know, I was really pushing for us to do the poster book just to get a bigger version of the hands. I mean, the art of Atari book's pretty big, but, you know, this is even bigger. That's great. So let me jump in. Um, we'll just do some uh, sort of, you know, just some seed questions to sort of get the, the, the creative juices going here. Tell us your relationship with Atari as a, as a young lad. As a young lad. Well, I remember specifically my dad. So I'm a, I'm a just a tick younger than you guys, but, uh, 
I remember my dad bring home the Atari 2600 after I, I begged him to buy it for probably at least a year, maybe two. Um, but, but he didn't want to spend the money on it until the crash in 83 when all the prices dropped. So in 83, he brought home a Vader, Darth Vader version for us from uh, the Video King, which was like our local you know, video store. And, uh, of course, there's a lot of games relatively cheap. So we got that and Barnstorming and Missile Command and oh, barnstorming. Uh, Mega Mania. Uh, barnstorming, the worst, most boring game ever. But, you know, as a five-year-old, uh, we were just riveted with the ability to fly a plane into a barn and out of it. That's great. You know, it, 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 uh, so besides besides that, uh, did you do you have do you have a memory of any Atari arcade games? Uh, you know, actually, I, it, it was another year or two before I really got into you know got to know arcade. So, you know, Missile Command was a big one. Obviously, Pac Man feels like it's been ever present in my life. You know, both in the arcade and then of course the twenty six hundred version. Uh, but uh, you know, I I was. You know, we're talking earlier about Chuck E. Cheese and Tron. I absolutely, you know, that has always been one of my favorite games. And there's something, there's a mystique about the game because I, frankly, I'm pretty terrible at Tron. I'm not that good at it. But there's something about the whole experience of like bellying up to a Tron cabinet mm-hmm. and how it sort of just ties into the movie, which I, you know, thought was an unbelievable, you know, thing as a kid. I just absolutely love that. It was, you know, it's almost like a, alien artifact, you know, it's so different and unique and it was like nothing I'd ever seen. And uh, the arcade cabinet, I just felt like it was an extension of that. Yeah. So it almost didn't even matter like what was on the screen. I mean, I loved it. I mean, but the, you know, the glowing joystick, the black lights. Yeah. I mean, just that whole, you know, in design, we, we talk about, you know, that whole designing that whole experience. And it was clear that they had just really thought through all that. And I, I think, I think that's why people are still talking about that cab. It just feels like it's a, uh, it's transcendent. It's, it's not even just about the game, the overall experience. You know, and they're just, um, you know, it's, it's up there. It's like a top five arcade experience for me. Yeah, I, I agree. It's um, an unbelievable cabinet. And we often talk about that cabinet. It comes up because it is a very popular cabinet. The, the, um, the blue in the joystick was an accident. Um, you know, the, the translucent really? glowing blue. Yeah. There's, there's a, an entire uh, article uh, about the the guy that actually designed the game and uh, George Gomez, and he talks about how George he was, Gomez, yeah, George is awesome, yeah. And so he was working on um, on a joystick for I don't know if it was Gorf at the time or or something, but um, James Hollow, it might maybe uh, Saint, I don't know. I think that came after, but I think that one came after. Yep, yeah, but the. But the po- I think the point is is that he had some material that he had been testing, and it was an accident. He had a, a black light sitting next to this material, and it lit up blue. And he thought, well, what if we did the joystick in that color? And uh, so that's how that joystick came. It was sort of an accident. But, yeah, that guy, uh, ex- cool. awesome designer. Uh, and if you can find it uh, on the interwebs, there is a great uh, whole article about George Gomez and um, that, that was plucked from a, an old magazine, and someone did a really cool blog article about it and actually got uh, Gomez to comment and have a, an electronic interview. So it's pretty cool. Um, we should get George on here one day. Yeah, oh. that would be fun. That would be great. Um, yeah. I'm, and actually, uh, I don't know if you're familiar. We were talking about Xenon a little bit earlier, but Paul Ferris, um, he's on my list too. I'd yeah. love to have him on. He's done a million pinball uh, artwork designs, you know. So, um, 
Greg Kamek and him, I think, uh, did the the design for Xenon, which is my all time favorite pinball. Uh, but you know, we're not we're not here to talk about them. We're here to talk about you. So tell yes. us about your day job. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a design director and creative director at a packaging package design firm. We do package design and identity, and we do a lot of work, you know, for you know spirits, you know, ciders, beer you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, cool. And then, you know, consumer packaging, a lot of grocery stuff. And, but you know, my, like my first, my first and always love is identity design, logo design. So, you know, I've, I've been doing that my whole career. Cool. You know, and there's something about, there's something transcendent about a great logo and a great, you know, to using the nerdy terms, you know, the great, uh, you know, identity system, you know, having thought through all of those different sort of visual touch points, you know, people are going to connect with something visually, whether it's a company or a, you know, a, a consumer brand. You know, whether it's your kind of Cheerios or your, uh, you know, kind of soft drink you have. Like, you know, having a logo that really transcends that stuff, and and that's really kind of dumped just back into Atari. You know, that's how I actually got. That's sort of what piqued my interest. You know, after you know, obviously growing up with Atari as a professional, as a designer, I was always interested. You know, hey, you know, in the design world, in this sort of nerdy logo design world, you know, we talk about the the origins, the Nike swoosh and the the Apple rainbow logo. Those are sort of like legends, you know, in the logo design world and everybody knows those, you know, they're, they're written about in books and yeah, you know, you, we talk about them sort of whispers. No, it, nobody nobody talked about the Atari logo, you know, and it's one of those logos that I think it's really transcended even the company. Yeah. And uh, I was really curious, well, who did this? Who started this? Yeah. Who did, who just for the record, who did do the Atari logo? Uh, his name was George Opperman, and uh, he was a Silicon Valley. He had his own small design shop, and you know, in the Silicon Valley area. And um, Nolan Bushnell and another guy um, who was an engineer slash industrial designer for him uh, found George, and they hired him as a freelancer, and they loved what he had done. And uh, he did some more, did a little additional work, and then eventually they brought him in house closed up his design shop and he became Atari's first creative director. And he really set the tone for uh, what, it, you know, what the design and illustration, you know, what it all was going to look like. I mean, he was kind of one of those triple threats, right? You know, he was a, he was an illustrator as himself. He was a designer and he was also an art director. And it's kind of rare to be able to find somebody who does all of those like legitimately well. Yeah. Like, and he was really good. And he really, he really formed the creative side of Atari in terms of like bringing it up to this level of, you know, high quality and perfection. And honestly, they were, they were from a design perspective, they were head and shoulders until, you know, until they were sold to the Tremel, they were head and shoulders, above really all the other sure. video game companies in that respect. George, George, yeah. George Opperman, right? So was it, was an Opperman yep. like the bad guy in, in world of tomorrow or something? I have Anyway. So, um, the, the Atari logo sits on my yeah. wall. I just want to describe this for you right now before Mark asks his question. On my wall sits a, a, a print. It's a silkscreen print of the Atari logo with the VCS six-switch uh, heavy uh, and a couple of joysticks superimposed over the logo. Just an iconic, you know, 14 by 14 print that I, I you know, awesome. I just love it. I mean, and, and you, you talked about the, you know, logos that transcend i have you know 
you know, I have in front of me right now my Apple IIc with the the old rainbow Apple on it. I've got stickers of that that old Apple. I've got those Atari things. But Atari, that brand, even though you know Tremel bought it, and and later other companies would acquire uh, the Atari uh, brand. Um, you know, they didn't really do much with the, the the games and whatnot. But the but the brand itself has been acquired over and over again. And at some point. Nolan Bushnell, I, I believe, was even asked to join the board of directors for the new brand. Um, I can't remember when that was, yeah. like five, ten years ago. Maybe even longer now. Yeah, it was like five years ago. So the interesting thing to me is that there, here's this brand that no matter when you see it or what age you are, they you know what it is. You know what that Atari logo is. It'd just be a those three lines yeah. on a shirt, and kids will know that's Atari even today. So. It's pretty interesting. Well, I mean, I it, think it's that's iconic. Crazy because, right. It's, What's that? Yeah, go ahead. No, I was. we were listening to you. We are listening to you. Oh, uh, yeah. No, it is iconic. And I think it's funny. It's not like a Nintendo brand or a, you know, Sony PlayStation that's been, you know, continuously making games. You know, Atari has this really, really, when you get down to it, you know, it's really like that the golden age of Atari in some ways. You know, in my opinion, it's basically from, you know, 19, you know, 73, 74 to, to 83. And then, you know, after that, it's, you know, it's the slow and maybe not even that slow decline. Yeah. But there's a power there. It was such a cultural force that you've got, you know, 15 year olds wearing Atari shirts. And are they wearing them ironically? I don't know. But, <laughs> uh, you know, that stuff has a, it has an, it has an appeal. And uh, so for me, it was like, I want to know who this guy is. Yeah. You know, and I figured if I wanted to know, then there were other people. And that was really the germ of the idea for me in terms of writing this book. I think, I think that plays into our next question nicely. How did you track down the Whoa. source material? So, oh. yeah, that's a great question. You know, it, it took a long time. I mean, it, that was over the course of five years. Uh, you know, at first I was just curious. I was just kind of satisfying my own curiosity. But, uh, you know, it really started with, I wrote a blog post about this. I used to run my own design firm uh, with a partner, and he was out in L.A. I was in Chicago. And, you know, I just write whatever I felt like, you know, and I think for Thanksgiving of 2010, I think it was, I, we wrote a, you know, story, who are, who are the artists and creative people and the designers that we're thankful for? And uh, one of the people that I, I wrote, a couple of people who were Atari people, was like, one of them was Cliff Spawn, who you know, did a lot of original Atari artwork. And, uh, Sorry, could, you, cool. could you repeat about that? that about Sid Mead. Could you and repeat that? that you re- two years later. Sorry. Uh, could you repeat two, that? those names no, real two, quick? Yeah, yeah. So, like, so, uh, you know, I wrote about, you know, Sid Mead, and who did, you know, a lot of, he's done a lot of movie design for Blade Runner and Tron and Cliff Spawn. And two years later, a woman commented on that story, and she said, oh, that's so funny that you talk about Cliff, because I grew up down the street from him. And uh, I was like, what? She's like, hey, you want to talk to him? I'm like, I'll connect you. And so suddenly I was talking to him on the phone. I mean, this is a guy who's sort of like my, one of my hidden art heroes. And uh, we had a two-hour conversation the very first time I talked to him. And I asked him about all these different games. You know, what was he thinking? What was the genesis of that? Where did he get that idea? You know, what was it like to freelance, you know, do all this work with Atari? And I hung up that phone afterwards, and I was like, wow. There was a, there's a, he really remembered all this great stuff, and there were so many good stories. And I hung up, and I was like, I, I could do a book about this. 
so that's where it started. Cool. And then, uh, and then I said, you know, I met him and he said, Oh, well, did you talk to this person? You should talk to this person. And then I talked to that person and they'd say, Hey, have you talked to so-and-so? And it just started, it started being a snowball rolling down the hill. Um, you know, so I would gather, you know, interviews here and then occasionally an artist would have some negatives or some slides. And then I was able to connect to some collectors. And then the big thing that kind of like actually made this thing kind of real was I bought a bunch of, uh, negatives and transparencies from, uh, another collector on, uh, you know, one of the fan sites off of Atari age. And, uh, he had this whole cache of negatives and three by five photographic transparencies, which is, you know, that's what they used back in the day. They were going to photograph the art. It's flat. And they use that to turn the art into actual, you know, production artwork. So he had binders full of this stuff and I was able to purchase it from him. And then finally I had this, you know, this, kind of small critical mass. And then I could go to other artists and say, Hey, I'm working on an art of Tari book. And really? Yeah, really? Oh yeah. I've already got a bunch of arts. You know, we scanned all that stuff digitally and had a lot of really high resolution stuff, but I didn't have a publisher. So I was just kind of saying, yeah, I'm working on this book. You know, people said, Oh, well, when is it coming out? Well, I don't know. Soon. Sometimes I don't know. <laughs> you know, so I didn't have a license. I didn't have a license to, to you know, reprint anything of Atari's. I didn't have a, I didn't have a book contract. I, I was just working on this thing as a sort of a side project, you know. And there was a lot of people who were like, "Yeah, that's never come out. No one's done that. Come on, there's got to be a good reason." But I kept plugging away at it, and I, you know, I got some interest. Somebody on the internet somewhere found out that I was working on this, so th- there was a whole article about it in uh, the Verge or you know some other tech website. And suddenly I'm getting all these emails: "When is it coming out? Can I pre-order? Blah blah blah." I'm like, guys, I'm not. I haven't done yet. I don't even have a, a book contract, but that actually really helped because when uh, my, my eventual, you know, I pitched this to a couple different publishers, you know, and we got kind of ensnared in sort of the, the licensing stuff with Atari. Uh, but uh, then my, my soon to be publisher dynamite had independently of me had gotten the rights to do a whole set of books with Atari. And then I said, well, Hey, you know what? That's really interesting because, I've got, you know, 40% of a book already written and researched. And it was like I just dropped out of the sky and showed up and said, hey, I'll write that book. And uh, <laughs> and then, then we went into overdrive. Nice. And it was great. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, I mean, after working on this thing, you know, on and off for five years, you know, sort of in my spare time and, you know, when I had some downtime or whenever I was able to track down somebody else, suddenly we were, you know, it was all hands on deck go. And we had six months to finish the book. That is an awesome uh, so then story. It was like, yeah, it was insane. I mean, you don't, you don't do that. I mean, usually a book like this takes a year, a year and a half to put together. But, uh, you know, I, I, the benefit was that I was the designer of the book was, uh, you know, my, my former business partner. And uh, we have a shorthand. We've done lots of books together before, you know, as designers and art directors. So we were able to just really roll with it. And I was still kind of gathering steam and collecting stuff, even up to the last minute. You know, we were two weeks away from getting, um, you know, having the file sent to the printer and actually have this thing printed. And I connected with a friend of a friend of a guy I knew the name of who had said, hey, yeah, you know, actually, I have some of the original logo sketches that George Opperman presented to Nolan Bushnell and Atari back, you know, before the Atari logo was the Atari logo. And I was like, are you kidding and so we squeezed that into the book because I was like, this is like, you know, I just feel like I just found the, the Holy Grail as Indiana Jones, Vittorio. Yeah, totally. And epic. that's something we got to include in the book. Yeah, it was amazing. 
I mean, that was the most, one of the most fun parts of this is finding things that no one had ever seen before. And that was some of it. That's great. You know, so what I was going to ask earlier, and it's a little late, but Opperman, who died a young man, in my opinion, only 50 years old in 1985 when he passed. Um, very substantial name, right? Opperman. Yeah. Um, and the, the reason why I say that is because I only know one other logo designer, Giovanna Imperia, and she designed the compact logo. And oh, wow. I think it would be kind of fun to, to, to add, cause she's local to me. I used to work with her, uh, back. I, I was the compact webmaster in the nineties, but that kind of artwork, right. you know, from like old school computers, that, that, that kind of fascinates, fascinates me a little bit. I have like old ephemera type stuff from the, from that advertising time period. But yeah, totally. yeah I, 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 I think if you're, if you have like, uh, you know, and I think your last name kind of fits into that. So where's your, uh, where's your <laughs> logo? That's going to be, you know, iconic. <laughs> uh, you know, I've designed a lot of logos. I don't, I don't think any of them are in danger of becoming that iconic. At least not yet. Not yet. They're, you're like Bill and Ted. You just haven't had that, that hit, you know, that talks to the aliens. That's yet. right. That's right. That's right. But you know, for me, it's like, I, I'm a creative process guy, you know, I'm the, I'm one of the guys who watches all the commentaries and all the special features on all of my, my movies. You know, I'm really into creative process because I think it says a lot about, <laughs> I do the same there's thing. a lot there about, uh, you know, how you do things. And so documenting and sort of, you know, sort of dredging up, you know, the creative work of stuff that's kind of been either forgotten or lost. It's, it's a real, it's a real big interest of mine, you know, and I'm, I'm very content of being that person and being that conduit. I mean, I honestly, a couple of the Atari artists that I interviewed, I called them up and they said, you think people are going to be interested in a book like this? Like they, they, they kind of laugh. Like they laugh at me. And, uh, and I'm like, I'll show you. But, uh, but really, I mean, like, I think there's a, I think there's an emotional connection there, but also there's a creative connection, you know, and sort of looking at it in a different way, not just, Oh, the programmers and their hot tubs and their, their antics. You know, but really, who are the other people that really made the video game industry what it was? You know, and these creative people and telling their stories, no one had ever told any of their stories. So, you know, and I think that's fun. I felt like it was, you know, I'm in virgin territory and it's, a, it's an exciting place to be. I have, I have a question. First, I have a comment and then a question. So I had a lot of fun taking the Atari logo uh, and making a little poster out of it for Arcade Radio for your appearance this week. I had kind of wanted to do something, and so I took the arcade radio logo, turned it upside down, and and made it the reflection of the Atari logo, which kind of gives it a couple of uh, fun, um, you know, eye-catching features. But it's very simple, and and just tells you that Tim's going to be on the show. So check it out on the arcade radio Facebook page if you want to. But um, I, I had a great time doing that. What? Here's my question: You had the you had the Atari logo. It's it's we we're just talking about being iconic, and then you you um, print the book. Mm-hmm. What 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 was the decision uh, process to add um, sort of the mosaic of art with your title and your name on it versus just having a big Atari logo on the book? Uh, did you go through that process and tell us how you arrived at the cover? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think for me it was about. It was about giving you a sense of what else is in this book, right? It's not just about, you know, Atari is a symbol that people know, 
But I, we really wanted to say, hey, this isn't chiefly a video game book. This is an art book, you know, and it's people, there's some people who know, know Atari and they know, oh, yeah, it's old school retro video games. But, uh, you know, they may not know much about the artwork. And then there's some people who are just interested in beautiful art. And so I really wanted to, like, have that hero image and have that awesome Missile Command image, which I think is simultaneously, it's like, oh, it's time. It's very much, it feels like a Buck Rogers 70s image that really captures the zeitgeist there. But then I also want to show, hey, there's a lot more in here. There's a, it runs the gamut, and, uh, and it's about Atari. So really, show, you know, we wanted to say Atari and art both at the same time, and we found like that was the best way to do it. Yeah, and that's you know that missile command uh, art. Since we're talking about it, that's you know I think there's an oscilloscope in the background, and that and and then there's you know this guy wearing what basically equates to the helmet that the Death Star operators wore, but it's white, you know, and uh, so maybe more like the good guys, Uh, you know, just like uh, very Star Wars esque feel to it. Um. And incidentally, uh, I believe um, Ralph McQuarrie did a piece for Atari uh, that's featured in the book. Yep. Uh, so that whole era, 1977, right? The VCS hits, and then boom, you've got like artwork mm-hmm. after artwork coming out. And so much of it feels 70s. Even the Atari logo feels 70s to me when I look at it. But it's more than that. It's just mon- It's just modern at the same time. So, um, yeah, it is. It, it is. I think that's a, it's like retro modern, you know, there's yeah. this idea of this minimal, simple, it doesn't have a lot of extra fills, yeah. but it also has this sort of triple line going, you know, and it's, that definitely feels like typography and iconography of the seventies. Yeah. So the, the thing that struck me most about this book was the amount of alternate artwork produced and then discarded. So some of the more notable mm-hmm. uh, pieces were like Haunted House with a truly terrifying piece of artwork, by the way, um, E.T., uh, <laughs> Superman, uh, and Pac-Man. Can you tell us a little bit uh, what it was like to unearth these beautiful gems that have never been shown in the, to the public before? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would just pinch myself. I mean, honestly, when I... Uh, you know, you think about this, like the artist if they have the artwork, you know, or they have these slides that they would, you know, some of them would send these to me or some of them even had them scanned and they would send them. And uh, this is stuff they lived with, you know, they did it. It wasn't, you know, it was their work, but it wasn't that special. This is 35, 40 years later. Um, I remember Hiro Kimura sent me a box of these transparencies to scan. And I was going through these and I'm like, oh, great. You know, he's a prolific guy, you know, Yard's Revenge, you know, some of the, you know, the 2600 Pac-Man that we all know is sort of, rounded Pac-Man. But then I, you know, I look in here and there's this crazy, this crazy Pac-Man where he's chromed and silver and the monsters are these, you know, drooling, (laughs) you know, scary monsters instead of the ghosts. I was just like, I cannot believe I'm looking at this. And I'm like, what is this? Is this Pac-Man? I mean, that's what I assumed. He's like, yeah, that was killed. I don't remember why I wasn't used. I think it was too scary. (laughs) And I just, you know, I knew I, you know, at this point, uh, you know, I'd become pretty well versed in Atari art and design, and I had never seen that. Yeah. And I was like, this is incredible. You know, and that, I mean, I was, that was the piece that I was most excited to show people because no one had ever seen that outside of Atari. Yeah. And uh, it was really, it was just really cool. I felt like, I felt like we had sort of rescued something off of the, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, out of the, the garbage, the trash compactor, if you want to use the Star Wars analogy. Yeah, the cutting room yeah, floor. And, uh, and, yes. Yeah. 
That is awesome. So, you know, and that's, I just, you know, yeah, it's a small thing, but it feels like, Hey, we rescued a little piece of video game history, you know, cause sure. The, the artist still had it sitting, you know, in a desk drawer somewhere or something, but I wanted people to be able to experience that and get to think about what that's like. Um, and I'll give you guys a little Easter egg and that's all I'll say about this. But, uh, I just did a talk, uh, here in Chicago this week at the Chicago Design Museum, which is a phenomenal, uh, you know, semi-pop-up, semi-permanent museum here in Chicago, uh, run by some friends of mine, all about, like, you know, art and design. And I did a talk on the visual evolution of Pac-Man. And, uh, you know, and that may or may not have anything to do with any future projects I might be working <laughs> on. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, I love it. I love it. Bum, bum. So I, I want to focus... But, uh, yeah. I want to focus one yeah, on one ahead. part of this with the alternate artwork because I really found this interesting. And, and I did, the Pac-Man piece was amazing. Uh, uh, there's so much in this book, but uh, I'm a big fan of E.T. Uh, I I love the the – I was looking in the book, reading the book, and I'm looking at the artwork, and I didn't even realize for a moment that I wasn't looking at the Atari – actual uh, artwork for the Atari box – but you had featured the alternate piece and then the real one next to it. And they look almost identical. They, they, uh, they really yeah. do. Like if you just glanced at it, you'd be like, that's the same piece, but it's, they're not. And if you look at Elliot's face in the original concept piece, he looks more like in wonderment, um, and, and wondering what this, this ship was doing, like, like he did in the movie. Right. But the Atari yeah. executive said, no, 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 no. He needs to look more afraid or scared or whatever it was. I can't remember. And so they had to, you know, they, they tasked their artists with these terrible things where like they've sunk, you know, a good portion of their time into this piece of artwork and now they have to change the face, you know? So uh, that sounds yeah. like that stuff happens all the time. Yeah. But it's just like There's a lot of weird subtle stuff like change, that. you know, and the whole piece is different. It's just so cool. Uh, well, so, it's encouraging to me because that does happen all the time still, you know, and I think, uh, it's nice to, it was nice for me as a designer and as a creative to go back there and remember that, oh, you know what, this is, this happened 35 years ago and it still happens. Clients haven't really changed. You know, there was a real through line. Uh, one of the, one of the people I got to talk to was, uh, one of the graphic designers at Atari who was really instrumental in helping me work on this and name was Evelyn, Evelyn Tito. And, uh, she, you know, she was a graphic designer, just happened to be doing this 35 years before me. And, uh, we, you know, we, we could really relate. And so that was fun. Felt like I was almost going back in the time machine in some ways. Hey, I have a question. Did you find any evidence of user testing for any of these alternate pieces? I know that you probably just got the artwork, but, It'd be kind of funny to find out yeah, no. like, who offered feedback. Yeah, you know, I don't think so. I don't think they did a lot. I mean, I think they did a lot more testing in terms of the actual games, but uh, it's nice to hear that. I, from what I understand, that the you know the marketing and design department were very were still pretty uh, autonomous, and it was really about you know getting it right internally. Now, some of the artists did say that you know as things went on. They would, you know, especially as Warner got more more powerful within the company, you know, after they purchased uh, Atari, you know, they'd have NBAs coming in and saying, "Hey, we want brighter colors. We want it to be able to, you know, you need to see it from, you know, eight feet away on the shelf, you know." And 
and for me, it's like, yes, that, that stuff all makes sense because that's just good package design. You know, it's the stuff we see. But I think for some of these artists, um, you know, who really come from these fine art, uh, you know, traditions, they felt like that was kind of selling out a little bit and saying, oh, that's so, it's even more commercial than it was before. Yeah. But, you know, you know, there was not, a, right, these are not artist designers. These are artists in the, in the sense that, like, they were, you know, even the ones that came right out of school, they were fine artists, right? You know, and then that was what you did when you're an illustrator versus, like, you're seen as this purely commercial part of this. And I think some of them had a hard time with it. Uh, you know, some of them embraced that, and they got it, and they understood the power of the image. I mean, we've been using, you know, they're drawing on this tradition of paperback novels and movie posters. But then uh, you see some of them, the other artists uh, struggle with this a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's telling because then some of those guys went on to actually be fine artists, and they are probably better suited for that. That's amazing. I was actually going to ask, what insights were you afforded into the personalities or lives of these artists? You just answered that question. So, I mean, yeah, well, <laughs> one artist who, who shall remain nameless, although if you read the book, uh, you'll be, probably be able to figure it out. Uh, initially, it took me a year and a half of convincing uh, to him to even be a part of the book, you know, because he's a fine artist now, and he really felt like this did not represent the best of his work. And, uh, you know, eventually, you know, and some of his friends talked him into it. And I said, hey, you know, my goal is just to put the history in there. I don't want to, you know, I'm not looking to disparage anybody. We, you know, I really see this as a, try to be critical in the book, but also my my intention in terms of critique here is really to show the best. You know, instead of showing the worst and then, you know, critiquing it heavily, I wanted to sh- show the best. Although it did help right. that, you know, there's only so, there are only so many options. You know, I mean, we we got what we could get, you know, people say, why isn't there this? Why isn't that? It's like, because we physically couldn't find it. You know, every single right. piece of art that, that was in that book, I touched it. You know, I sourced it. I found it. I tracked it down. So, you know, the people who own Atari now have no archive. You know, I'm probably personally sitting on the largest collection, the largest single collection of Atari artwork in the world. Because mm-hmm. just by virtue of, what I was able to find and acquire for this book. Oh, that's nice. That is cool. Hey, so the, you know, it's funny. We don't, I do, I do, I still do a lot of design stuff with, uh, you know, it's mostly web related. We don't call those rejects. We just call those comps. (laughs) Right. And that's it. But um, my question is, uh, did you find out how, how did Atari treat their arts art staff and uh, and were they all Atari employees that that particular art staff or did they go out and reach out for other people they, it started out with freelancers you know because I think they were just building that art department they're figuring out what it was going to look like but then when the 2600 really took off you know after Space Invaders and Asteroids I think then they really realized that they had something with legs and it was going to last a lot longer they needed staff people who were less expensive you know, they could bring in full-time, they could hire them out of, right out of school, and they could do that. But, you know, by all accounts, they paid, you know, they paid their freelancers and their staff well. You know, the, they, and when they did bring in people like uh, Ralph McQuarrie, they, they paid a really good rate, to, you know, in terms of the, the going rate for illustration. And Atari was known in the industry, especially locally there, for, for paying good rates for illustrators. So they, tra- they treated them well. Now, they didn't... They didn't put their names in, you know, they weren't credited in the manuals or anything. It just wasn't, it wasn't really done. 
you know, that wasn't a thing that people asked for. You know, they occasionally would, they would leave signatures in there as long as it didn't interfere with like the weird cropping of the artwork for the box or something. But it wasn't intent. It wasn't like an intentional shift that you saw like, um, you know, 15, 20 years, you know, 10 years later in video games, um, you know, Capcom and some of these other companies required their programmers to use pseudonyms in the credits because they didn't want them poached by other companies. It wasn't like that for Atari. It just wasn't done. You know, it wasn't done like that. And, uh, and that added to the mystery in terms of trying to figure out who these people actually were. You know, and there's some, there's some mysteries in there. You know, the, uh, the Space Invaders, the 2600 Space Invaders artwork looks a hell of a lot like a Boston cover album that came before it. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the record artwork for uh, one of Boston's albums. But we could not draw a definitive line between those two. You know, there's a similarity in the name. You know, there's a name on there. But oh. we don't know if it was somebody aping that style or if it was the actual artist. We just couldn't, we just couldn't confirm it, you know. And I so. You know, there's still there's still questions like that. You know, there's unanswered questions, and who knows? Maybe it's a future edition. But you know, I really treated this like. I mean, you know, granted the book sold really well, so you know, maybe there'll be second editions. There definitely could be, you know, additional printings. But I treated it like this was going to be the only Atari book ever in the world. So if I wanted something in there, it was going in there, and that was how I act. You know, it's like this is this is the arc, man. Everything else is going to burn. Get it all in there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So one of the things I also uh, thought of while I was reading the book, uh, specifically around the VCS stuff, and um, uh, was that Atari box art was really uh, a necessary element of games at the time. You know, graphics were certainly better than anything that had been on a home console at, at any time. But when you mm-hmm. when you compared them to the arcade versions at the time, they didn't really hold a candle in most cases. So, uh, did the artwork bring it home for you like it did for for me when I was buying a game? Yeah, you know, I I think I think it was really important. I think you're right, I, but I also think just the. The fact of, I guess it depends on how old you were, but I think just the fact that you could play games on your TV was still a pretty new concept, right? And that was novel. And it was, this wasn't about trying to upsell like inferior graphics. Cause I mean, it's still the state of the art in terms of home console. You know, I think people are very sure. willing to do that. I think it was really about kind of capturing the energy saying, Hey, you know what? We've got a tennis game. What's tennis feel like? Oh, you're sweating and you're John McEnroe with your, you know, your headband on and boom. You know, you're hitting the ball, and there's that crack of the, you know, the ball on the, you know, on your racket. You know, it was about capturing that energy and that feeling because all this was really new. You know, and I think right. it was their way of sort of communicating that is, hey, they did, you know, there's a reason why there's video chess and video checkers and tennis and ba- you know, and baseball and all that is because this was new, and you got to go to some familiar places. Because the, even the idea of playing games on your TV is still pretty new. Absolutely. Yeah, so we have one um, audience question. Uh, Paul Saarinen um, of Minnesota, uh, no, no doubt. Uh, he'd love to know um, how you decided to include certain games between uh, 74 and 78, the black and white era. Um, there seems to be a a ton of games that never got covered um, in, in that time frame. So, 
he was curious about that. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of it was, you know, especially with Arcade, you know, what we were trying to do, you know, at the, at the beginning, the idea of this book was like everything Atari art-focused, right? You know, and uh, so I wanted to cover Arcade and console and really do the whole thing. And logistically, it became challenging to, to really think about how could we photograph you know, how can we photograph arcade games? So then we really said, started saying, okay, what do we have? And how do we just tell that as part of the story? But really what we want to focus on is, is home consoles, right? And what we were able to, you know, what we were able to find. You know, home consoles, I mean, the arcade, you know, Atari Arcade is it's the beginning. We don't have that. You know, if we don't have that, we don't have the home consoles. But at the same time, if you're talking about sheer numbers and really commercial awareness like the, the home consoles are way more you know way more powerful in terms of reach of audience and frankly it's just that was that was the art that was available that we could find so when we got actually got to the consoles it was just like what well, can we acquire you know everything good that we could find we yeah. put in there and know, I, so it wasn't uh it wasn't like oh I, you know what i don't like that game so we're not going to include it i mean <laughs> i look i look for the best the best specimens you know and it was hard to find uh yeah, you know, there's plenty of things that you know. All the places where we didn't have artwork, we you know photographed the boxes in the nicest way that made sense to us. Yeah, and, and you know that that seventy stuff is so cool. That early black and white, you know, conceptual art is just amazing. So mm-hmm. what a treat! So did you uh, did you ever purchase a game just because of the art? Uh. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think I repurchased games just because of the art. Uh, you know, I, I mean, you know, I think sometimes some things for me, like as, when I was a kid, I was absolutely obsessed with the artwork for Super Breakout. You know, and I, and I like Super Breakout. It's a good game, but it's you know, it's souped up Breakout. But the artwork, absolutely. I mean, I would stare at that box for for hours. It just blew my mind. The idea that you know he had the artist Chris Bond had taken this rainbow brick pattern, you know, that runs across the top of the screen, this flat thing, and turned it into something real. It was like this dimensional thing that it was shiny and it was out in space, and this astronaut looking at it it's reflected in the curve of his uh, his helmet. It just it absolutely blew my little mind. And uh, you know, I think for me, like that game got way better because of that. <laughs> You know, because it just there was something about the artwork at the time. It really was a, I think it was a part of the actual game experience. It wasn't just like, oh, put the game in, and that's all that really matters. Like this, this artwork, you were going to see it before you were going to play it. Yeah. And it really just it sort of set the tone, and it kind of primed the pump for your imagination. So that when you're playing that game, you've got this flat, you know, rectangular paddle. No man, I'm not a paddle. I'm an astronaut. Because look, can't you tell? You see that, and it was an essential part of that gameplay. And it sort of wove itself into the experience. And I think that's something that's hard for, you know, modern gamers, you know, people who maybe are, you know, under 30, you know, to really understand because there was a huge, there was just a connection between the artwork and the game that was inseparable and, but also complementary. And I don't think that happens today. Yeah. I think it really kind of juiced up the imagination in a lot of, you know, ways. So. Totally. Uh, Mark. Uh, you got a couple more up the up your sleeve here. Mm, your favorite Atari game? Uh, console or arcade? Hmm. Let me. Uh, let's go one of each. Well, how about top three of each and start at console? Oh man, 
Oh man. <laughs> uh, all right. That's tough. That's tough. I, we now we're talking Atari proper here, right? Not the, not Activision or third party console. VCS. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah, Atari, okay. Atari, produ- um, pro- Atari produced games. Yes. Okay. Um, top three. I think uh, I love real sports baseball. You know, because it was the first. It, after home run, it actually felt like real baseball. You know, and I was a, I was a kid growing up playing little league and all that. Loved being able to play baseball. Um, you know, it was just fun, and it seemed like much more souped up after that pathetic attempt at baseball is home run, you know, and then and I have to say Warlords. I mean, it's probably, you know, Warlords and Berserk, I think, oh, are yeah. the other two. Good choice. You know, and Warlords is amazing because it's, it's, you know, it might be the greatest four-player game of all time. I, I believe you know, I don't think true. that's going out on a limb. That is absolutely a fun. I don't care if you're six years old and, you know, <laughs> in uh, 1982 or you're, you know, I was 20 in college. We used to play, we used to do round-robin warlords tournaments on my dorm floor as a freshman in the 90s. You know, I absolutely, that, that game's so much fun. And it's, it's just violent, awesome, you know, you're sort of building little little teams and you're strategizing against other people, uh, you know, four-player, it's just phenomenal. So, and then Berserk yeah. is just Berserk. I think even though it's simpler than the arcade, the, the, it just comes through really well. That's awesome. I have the I have the Warlord's guy beard. I should, should totally cosplay as that guy. You know, <laughs> it's funny you should say Warlord's might That's be the amazing. best four-player game too because um, I, I finally got the Atari uh, cocktail version of that, the four-player, and it's unbelievable. Everybody loves that game when we have okay. arcade parties. Yeah. And um, it, it, there's also... Um, I don't know if you guys are aware, but the Atari 2600 VCS homebrew uh, uh, community, there's, there is medieval mayhem. Me- medieval mayhem. And it's actually way closer to the arcade game than the one they released. And it, they're, they're both yeah. fun in their own right. But this, the medieval mayhem makes that game just sing. I just love it. Oh, totally. Totally. Absolutely. No, it, whenever I bust out the, the 2600, you know, for people who are not, Gamers, I said, okay, you're playing one game and you're playing this, <laughs> and uh, you know people have so much fun. I mean, it's such a. I mean, I you know I have you know kids who grew up with N sixty anything N sixty four as retro, and uh, they love that game. I do. You know, I think that's really fun. I I um they also have uh, a thing that doesn't happen in the arcade game. Like when you win, there's a little knight that walks a- across with a flag that he won. You know, so it's pretty cool. The, the side yeah. sidebar medieval mayhem. I took a picture with a Polaroid camera. This is probably ten years ago. I took a picture of uh, me and my friends playing medieval mayhem on a fifty-five inch uh, DLP TV um, with our Atari there. And I sent it in for a, a photo contest. I sent it into a photo contest, a, a, you know, a scan of it. Um, and, and the idea was take a picture of you playing a retro game. We're going to pick the best uh, photo. And so I, my scanned photo of the Polaroid of us playing this modern take on an old game on a giant TV won me a copy, a PAL version copy of King of Kong. <laughs> so that was like that. Nice. Um, that was back in like 2007 or something. So, did you were you able to watch it? Somehow? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I had a player that could play it. So, oh nice. Sorry, I didn't mean to walk over you, Tim. That's awesome. 
No, yeah, it was fun. No, so, no, I was wondering if you were wearing authentic like eighties clothes where you trying to like <laughs> you know, go all method and get in the character, you know. No, no. <laughs> no uh <laughs> Yeah, no Andy Kaufman and this this yeah, we just did the did our thing and um uh it was cool. Uh we uh, you know, just regular dudes playing Atari. That's, you know, it's kind of what we did. So That's awesome. But, uh, that's killer. Did you, uh, maybe just a couple of final questions here before we close out, but you know, first of all, tell us a little bit about when you, uh, discovered the Ralph, you're a fan of star Wars, I assume. Yes. Yeah. That's so a, that's a very good assumption. So, uh, yeah, Ralph, the Ralph McQuarrie thing. Yeah. Yeah. Vanguard. Yeah, go ahead. Right? Vanguard. Go ahead and tell us. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I asked, a, I remember talking to one of the, uh, so at one point, you know, I was connecting with all these different artists and a couple of writers and graphic designers from Atari. And, uh, you know, I was just trying to do a, a final swing through uh, Silicon Valley and meeting with a bunch of them all at once. So we had a big round table. And uh, I believe it was one of the writers who worked on writing the manuals and some of the other concepts said uh he remembered the story people were saying oh man that would be really cool if we could you know somebody like a ralph mcquarrie to to do some art for us and and they're all like why don't we just ask ralph mcquarrie and they're like, you know we're atari man you know and so they just called him up and they're like oh there's no way he'll be too expensive he'll be too busy you know i mean he's a freaking star wars guy and it turned out he said oh yeah i'm super excited to do it i'm really happy to do it and he was super nice and uh, I don't know why it was only that was that one piece. You know, he didn't do more than that. I'm assuming it was a scheduling thing. But it was Ralph McQuarrie, and they didn't even make that big a deal about it, which is a little bit surprising to me. But I think that's like, you know, pre-internet, pre, uh, you know, I mean, how do you talk about that? You know, that was like, a, you know, we put out a press release. It was yeah. it was just the art, you know, and these guys were like very workmanlike about their craft. And But, man, you can look at that that Vanguard art, and, I mean, if you, if you don't see... Uh, you know, Imperial ships and, uh, you know, hot planet esque caves. I don't know. I don't know what you're looking at. You know I mean? It really feels like star Wars. In a way. <laughs> wow. It does. Yeah. I mean, he's got such a signature style and I just love his work. So yeah, found that was, I just loved, um, the fact that that was, uh, included. So, uh, in learning about Atari and, uh, can you tell us, um, you might not be telling us anything new here, but, Give us your insight into the company, uh, the company's culture at that time and in, in that sweet spot that you're talking about, 77 to 83, you know? Yeah, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, now I think it's fashionable a little bit to, to rag on uh, Nolan Bushnell because he, he sort of pushed Ted Dabney out and he kind of claimed a lot of credit for himself. But I'll tell you one thing that he, you know, we talked, you know, I interviewed him for the book. And uh, he said one of the best things that, you know, that you can say as a, as a, you know, the one running a company, he said, you know what, I tried to hire really smart people and then get out of their way, you know, and he loved, he loved our, he loved art and design and he understood the, the power of it. He couldn't do it himself, but uh, he really appreciated it even back then. And uh, he did such a great job of sort of allowing a couple of people like George Opperman and some of these other folks to come in and create this creative culture that was really sort of you know, different than the, uh, the programmer's culture and just run with it. They had, you know, they were pretty protected. They were relatively able to do their own thing. And they, they made a really interesting creative culture. And most of the people 
there said it's a high, it's been a highlight of, of their careers. So he was able to do, you know, hire good people and get out of their way. And I think that was a challenge. And that was part of the reason why, you know, he got pushed out is I think that entrepreneurial sort of freewheeling creative spirit was really at odds with, uh, you know, how Warner was like, we got to make product and we got to put it out there. And I think that that started to die bit by bit, you know, and you saw some of the people leave because of that. Um, but I think, I think that's the thing is, you know, Atari in some ways was the prototypical and one of the first, you know, true, what we think about now is a Silicon Valley company where it's like, you know, yeah, you had your foosball tables and your, your hot tub parties and your drugs, but you, you had this really creative freewheeling spirit and they were willing to reinvent and try different things. And, and, uh, I mean, that's what we think of when we think of Silicon Valley startups. And I think they were able to do that in a really creative way. And I don't think they get enough credit for it, which is, you know, that's kind of one of the themes of this book. Awesome. Hey, uh, I, I have a, actually a, a listener question. Uh, they want to know yeah. if, in a, you know, let me know if you are able to even answer this. Were the artists emotionally invested in their artwork or was it just another paycheck? I mean, I'm sure you've got a mix of that, but. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. I mean, I think these, most of these guys and, uh, and the few women that there were really enjoyed the work, but you got to think about it. these, these are fine artists. It's not like today you're like, Hey, you know, I, I do artwork for video games and I grew up in video games and I love being able to work on this franchise. There was nothing before this. So, you know, you ask most of these artists, Hey, did you love playing the games? No, I never played the games. Oh, I hated video games. Oh, you know, I'd, you know, I'd rather be able to sit in my studio and paint. I mean, you know, playing video games and making art were about as far apart from each other as they could be. Now, today, that's not the case. You know, those those things are much, much closer to each other. But at that time, you know, they felt really different. So you didn't see, you know, so I think they were excited and they enjoyed doing the artwork and getting to play in these different genres. I think a lot of them really, really liked that and the freedom to sort of, craft a storyline. It's not like there were some deep, you know, saga of books behind the warlords, you know, brothers and the state. It wasn't like this game of Thrones that they had to capture. They had freedom to sort of really invent and kind of make things out of whole cloth. And so I, I think a lot of them did like it, but, uh, you know, it's, you're also talking about a lot of artists who are really, many of them were right at the beginning of their careers. You know? And so I think, I think it's a challenge to go from a high point like that. And that's your first job. Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, uh, I, I, if I was doing the artwork, I'd be like, oh, man, this I, I, I get to. Well, I, I wonder what those meetings were like. Okay, we're, we're going to, we're doing this game. It's called Yar's Revenge. There's a little bug thing on the screen that shoots at the, the middle of this thing, and then you can go through it, and then you try to get the bad guy. Here's the concept. Um, maybe he's, maybe he describes it a little bit better because in his mind it's, it's more than that, but you know, maybe marketing is trying to get the, the artist to, you know, kind of come up with an idea, you know? So I wonder what those meetings mm-hmm. were like, you know? I don't know, but well, it's you know, a child. It was really different. I, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's, you know, it was different depending on the game. I mean, some of these were really collaborative and the programmer would come with a bit of a storyline. But sometimes they would they wouldn't even get to play the game. They would just say, "Hey, we're doing a game about X," and then go. You know, and and that's uh, 
you know, and that's really, I think that's, there was a lot of collaboration. There was an opportunity. I mean, think about it. There was no nerd culture. There was no game culture. So it wasn't like, yeah, this is the typical space opera and, you know, yeah, uh, this yeah, is, yeah. you know, the typical kind of world building scenario with fantasy. I mean, there was, there was none of that stuff. So, right. you know, they really had to start, you know, <laughs> start from a real blank slate. So they're right. borrowing from, you think about this, they're borrowing from Frank Frazetta and they're borrowing from, uh, you know, pa- dime store paperback noir, yeah. you know, novels and the movie posters of the time. Yeah. Oh, I think that separation, though, is really fortuitous. Like, if they never saw the game, then it isn't going to influence their artwork. And I I think that's important because, like, as a child, this artwork for me, like, when I played the game, I thought of the artwork. Like, oh, I'm this big bug with, you know, guns that have six turrets on its hand, but I just can't see it because it's a little, you know, tiny little (laughs) pixelated guy. (laughs) Or adventure. Right, right. Or you think about it. Adventure, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. that. I mean, that was you map that onto that. I'm a square. No, I'm not. I'm this knight, and these are dragons. They're not ducks. That's right. <laughs> ducks. Somebody get the stupid duck away from me. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny too. Whenever I played, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I played adventure, like I pick up that sword the wrong way. I never even realized it was a sword for the longest time. I thought it was just an arrow. You know, I was like, why am I carrying an arrow around? This is like the dumbest thing. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Go around killing ducks with an yeah, arrow. <laughs> <laughs> but what a fantastic game! I mean, I mean, talk about world building and talk about like something that was deep and immersive, even though it was so simple. I mean, and that friggin' bat, you know, just flies by <laughs> and steals your stuff. I mean, you're like son of a. I mean, it's such a great game. I mean, it really captures. I, I feel like you know the feel of the you know text. You know, that was based on a text adventure game, but. Uh, I mean, just a phenomenal game. And I mean, really, like, you can look at, like, okay, what else is it? Everything's been influenced by that game, whether it's, you know, Pitfall or Legend of Zelda or, you know, Metroid or, you know, pick any modern, you know, world exploration game at this point. I mean, it all comes from adventure, whether they know it or not. Incidentally, um, if you haven't had a chance, uh, there's a, there's a, developer called the electric toy company and on the on the ios uh on the app store for ios they have a game called pixa mm-hmm. and it's a sequel to adventure really yeah it's called pixa p-i-x-a it's it's a, it's a buck and it's totally worth a buck it kind of combines elements of a few different games pitfall combat adventure haunted house but it's but it's really a sequel to adventure it actually has like the castles there's different you talk to your mom but you're the little square you know and she berates you for being terrible at you know gathering treasure or whatever it is i can't remember exactly how the game goes but it's very funny it's all text driven and then you um and then you run around as the, as the little pixel you know just like an adventure and you have to go find treasures and bring them back to the castle so Nice. That's awesome. And it's hey, have you incredibly engaging. Yeah. Have you ever seen uh, it's incredibly engaging, I agree. Have you ever been to homestarrunner.com? Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean like that that's like the stuff of my like high school and college years and we were all about the strong bad and the cheat. Yes. I, I was just going to say uh, num- uh, I I just went back and looked. It it looks like in the bottom left hand corner homepage number fifteen. That's the one where the duck is chasing after Strong Bad and he's yelling at the duck. 
<laughs> our <laughs> listeners have not checked this out. Go to homestarrunner.com and then in the you know accept that you can run uh, Flash for us. You know, <laughs> I think you probably catch it on YouTube. Dudes. You could probably get the thing on YouTube also. They put a lot of them uh, out there. I don't know if you can get the. This is the menu system. Oh yeah, yeah. Somebody get the stupid yeah. duck away from me. Yes. Yeah. You're so good. Good time. Homestar 10. Yes. <laughs> there, there's a book idea. A Homestar Runner page. Oh my gosh. Uh, Those oh, guys man. were brilliant. Uh, I, the, I'm sorry that that did, uh, did. I'm actually sad that didn't go further than it did. But yeah, you know, I know they tried, and they. I have the video games. I bought them for the PS3. It was like a five-part series of Homestar Runner games that I bought. You're like the only guy who bought those. <laughs> They're fun. <laughs> Cheers. I feel like that was that's that's like Family Guy before Family Guy was a thing. <laughs> yes. You know, it's like that that kind of like cultural critique. I mean, it's just so amazing and so incredible. One bad Homestar One O. They took our germs. Oh, I love that. Huh. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that show. So, um, maybe we should wrap up here. I think uh, it's been awesome having you on the show. Uh, Thanks for having me. We're really honored to have you on the show. Actually, I think it's really great to get people that have had, uh, you know, this. your story is great. It's sort of like a you know, just a certain series of events had to happen to have this book, uh, come to a realization and to hear that story is, is it's inspiring. Cause then like, I, yes. I feel like I can like suddenly maybe do something really worthwhile. And you know, the, the people, the execs that laughed at you for wanting to publish an Atari book and here it's sold extremely well. Uh, you know, I don't know if it made the New York Times bestseller, but I know like pretty much everyone I know in the hobby bought this thing, you know. So, cool. uh, well, I appreciate that. You know, I think that's uh, you know for all you kids at home, you know, I think it's like that's a it's a lesson of like, hey, find something. You know, if you're passionate about it, and that passion's coupled with you know a whole bunch of luck and doing it well, I think there's a story to be told. You know, and I think I think for me, it's like when there's a when you love something and you care about it and you think there's an interesting story there, chances are there's somebody else, you know? And for me, I wonder, I made the book that I wanted, you know, nobody had done that book. And I said, why doesn't somebody do this book? And I was like, well, I guess I have to do it. Nice. And uh, apparently there's other nerds like me, you know, which is great. Yeah. Well, we're out there. We're out there. We're rallying around you. Yeah. Mark, do you have any final questions <laughs> for our guest? Uh, no, all my all my questions are about how about a book about you know this or this. I mean, I'm excited because I'm like I don't want to go do all the work and you do it. So. <laughs> 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 so for me, action figure art is very like you know that, that's like the lore of really collecting action figures. I mean, obviously the you know you know the the molding and the sculpting is great, but the artwork that's on you know the you know, the, the cardboard that, you know, the blister pack is adhered to that is kind of a fun thing. I don't know. I know you're going to be busy with something. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's Pac-Man who knows, but you know, I don't know if you have like a list, but yeah. uh, go oh, for I it. Totally, I mean, I totally have a list. I mean, I, oh, you know, great. I mean, there's one book that's already been made that I wish I, you know, I feel like there are not many books that I'm like, Oh, I'm jealous. I wish I would have done that. 
But uh, one book that I just said, like Sam, like there's a, I think Dark Horse, put uh, Tim Seeley and his, the Seeley brothers did the uh, Masters, the Art of the Masters of the Universe. Like oh, that wow. is a, I mean, I'll plug that book. I mean, it is a phenomenal book. I mean, it is, I mean, if I may be so bold, it's the art of Atari of, uh, of Masters of the Universe. I mean, it is, it is really, really good. And uh, they did a great, great job. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a casual He-Man fan from you know when I was a kid. But man, that's a great book. Um, you know, I think that's fun. and they're and they're milking that. They're doing all kinds of things. I think they collected all the, the mid the little comics that used to come in the with the you know the characters. Oh my god! They actually gosh. collected those all in a, in a big hardcover. Like, and that's a monster book. Um, you know, so I mean, they're doing a really nice job with that. Like some the Dark Horse. Like those are cool books. I mean, the, for me, it's like I was uh, all the places where pop culture and uh, you know design and art sort of run. I would love to you know see a book with, you know about Polaroid, you know, like the, the art and design of Polaroid. I think that's how that you know one of the emblematic sort of American designs. MTV is another one. I mean, like you know, people talk about like that. Think about that logo that we grew up with, that iconic, ever-changing logo. You know, it was just on yeah. the screen 24-7. Absolutely. And they did such uh, great you know, work with that logo. I mean, it was, you, you look yeah. forward to the in-between videos to see what they were going to do with the, the logo. The interstitials, Adam. The interstitials. That's what I meant. Yes. yes. There you go. Yes. Some people went to graphic design college. I did not. If you want I did not. To, although <laughs> I, I am available if yes. there's any episode. And if you need to read a book on how to be one or, you know, Thanks. favorite projects of, you know, people like this, you could read Tim's book on damn good top designers discuss their all-time favorite projects. Well, thank you for for the plug of my much less good book. <laughs> <laughs> Those were back in twenty twelve. So you, you're not you're not a newbie to this thing, you know. So no, no, no. But uh, yeah, there, there's there's nothing like working on uh, you know property like this where it was like you know I had a real expectation of you know everything that was in the book I had to find. Uh, so you know that was I think that was part of this making this as fun as it was and as absolutely life consuming as it was, is that, you know, we weren't just handed stuff, you know, we had to do, we had to go track things down, but I love that. I actually really love that. I feel like part of Indiana Jones. Yeah. And, uh, that, that was a blast. And it was and kind of meta because at one point I actually did track down the Atari Indiana Jones artwork. And <laughs> I felt like I was the Indiana Jones finding the Indiana Jones. So we, uh, that's for that's that's great. I think we'll close out with that. But I think uh, t- thanks Tim Lapatino for being on the show. Um, you know, I want uh, you stick around after we uh, sign off here, um, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more. But uh, you know, it's uh, Tim Lapatino, and he's been uh, our guest for the last uh, hour or so here. So thanks again. Um, and my pleasure. Yeah, and uh, he's got a few books out. Uh, I mentioned Damn Good Top Designers Discuss Their All Time Favorite Projects, which he did in 2012. We didn't really talk about that, but if you wanted to look at some of his other stuff, go to that Art of Atari, which we've been talking about the whole episode, and the newest book, which is Undisputed Street Fighter The Art and Innovation Behind the Game Changing Series. And, and um, we, can, uh, we can talk more about that on the. Uh, maybe on the next show you're on. So thanks for being on the show. Great. Um, Mark, are you hearing music right now? 
I think, no, not at all. Are you? Did you change your? Uh, well, it, it, are we supposed to be hearing the the music where we dance? Well, you know, it's the soundboard thing. You know, we've had it crashing all night, so Aww. you know, it's sad. And just pretend like we're listening to it right now. I can, you know, I can. <laughs> it's more like a late night, you know, like an after hours club music type thing where you, you, know, you go somewhere and they're like, you want to drink something? You're like, what? Yeah, we, we had some technical difficulties on the last show when we were trying to, you know, you know, we had a whole episode that we called the sound check. <laughs> we did. <laughs> if you guys want a interstitial episode, <laughs> She say how I use that word. If you want to hear people, hear people uh, yelling about stuff they can't hear, uh, listen to the show before this. Yeah. Anyway, if you want to listen to our show, uh, oh, wait, I hear it. Yep. There in, you go. In two weeks, we're going to have another episode. Uh, join us then on Arcade Radio. Uh, this has been Arcade Radio. You can find us at arcaderadio.com. Uh, we can follow. You can follow us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. It's facebook.com/slash Arcade Radio. Oh, we're also on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Um, thanks for listening in. And um, this has been the double R's. This is where we sign off, right? Maybe I can't play this song anymore. Just do it. It's my song. I like it. I'm dancing. I'm da- I'm gonna take my shirt off right now. Woo! I've got one of those flashing raver lights in my mouth. Yeah. Ooh, strobe light. <laughs> I got a flashlight. I'm having a seizure. So you'd always see like a pretty girl with a with a light in her mouth, and you're like, ah. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think that was I think that was a successful little run there. <laughs>